science also tells us that when we multitask, we actually increase our uh, cortisol and adrenaline levels. So it increases our stress to multitask, not decreases it. And we actually lower our IQ in the moment when we are engaging in multitasking. So we literally get dumber. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Welcome back to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, a podcast from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And if you think this is another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of the crucial conversations going on about helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of people, technology, and business. And Ira, on this episode, we're really excited. We have communication expert, Dr. Ali Atkinson joining us today. And we're going to explore how communication can help us thrive in the never normal. Specifically, she's gonna explain how can we become more aware of our digital communications and how we can leverage brain science to communicate more effectively for stronger connections with others. And I know we've had several episodes here over the last few months, Ira, on the show around this topic of communication, but I'm not sure that we've taken a dive into communication during times of turbulent change, like we're all experiencing right now. And while remote and flexible work is what most of us desire, there have been some initial challenges for those trying to make that transition. Now, the typical American worker now is going about 6.1 days without speaking with their manager, and a third of employees are reporting that they feel invisible working from home. So our, our listeners have probably heard me reference before the four principles of connection when we think about designing a healthy employee experience. And certainly effective communication processes, they're a huge part of that, especially now that more people are spread around the world and working from home. And interestingly, in our company, Do Lead, when we measure the four principles of connection, the score that's the lowest on the assessment is whether or not people feel like the company communicates changes when they happen. So even though I'm a huge advocate for remote and flexible work, I also know that we have some data showing that it has exacerbated some things that most organizations already weren't doing well, which is communicating effectively with staff. And it's vice versa. So there's a new report out uh, that just dropped yesterday from uh, one of our, uh, an organization that one of our, our good friends is at, uh, Gad Levinon, uh, from Burning Glass Institute. And the report is called Shifting Skills, Moving Targets, and Remaking the Workforce. Now, there's a lot of data. It's about a 44-page report. Uh, but they identified, and I've, I haven't gone through the whole thing, so you'll probably hear about this for weeks to come. But they identified four big trends. Uh, one of them is digital skills in non-digital occupations. And you've heard me talk about that many times. You know, I've talked about two-thirds of all jobs will be one-third automated. That doesn't mean you get to go home at the end of, you know, uh, 25 hours. Um, but everybody's going to have to learn new skills, even in non-digital occupations. The other one, uh, which we'll, I'll, I'll dig into just a little bit, is soft skills in digital occupations. So the timing for this is perfect because this is right up Ali's uh, Alley. 
Uh, visual communication was the third trend and social media skills was the fourth. Now, this is what was super interesting. And I'm going to have to pull up the report here just to, to be able to see it. But uh, they looked at technical jobs. And we've been talking, people have been talking for years. They need soft skills. They need to talk to clients. They need to work together. They need to collaborate. And and I, I think Jacob Morgan's one of the guys that, uh, another one of our guests and, and colleagues that talks about, we got to stop talking, talking about soft skills as soft. <laughs> They're really important. But this was interesting. Out of mobile application developer, web developer, computer programmer, UI, UX designer, computer support specialist, those are the geeks. Yeah, those are the techie people. Here's the skills that they need to develop. Let me see if I can do this without screwing anything up here. So mobile application developer, number one skill they need, teamwork and collaboration. Number two, communication skills. Web developer, number one skill, communication skills. Computer programmer, number one skill that they need, communication skills. UX uh, designer, Number two skill is communication skills behind, right behind teamwork and collaboration. And then computer support, troubleshooting is number one. Communication skills is number two. In these roles, the need for these soft skills and, and primarily communication skills has increased 22% since 2016. That's incredible. And it just reinforces most of the important things that any of us ever learned in life were the things we should have been learning in elementary school in terms of being able to communicate and work with others. Uh, but that's exactly why we're excited to have Dr. Ali Atkinson with us today is she's a communication expert and she's going to teach us a lot about how to develop those effective soft skills around communication. Just a little bit about Ali before we bring her on. She is the president of ROI Communication Solutions, which provides speaking, consulting and training services and professional communication skills backed by the science of how the adult brain learns. She also works collaboratively with trainers and instructors to teach brain-based training and education tactics. And her science-based techniques leverage knowledge about the, how the brain learns to ensure that learning is actually taking place regardless of the learner or context. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Dr. Allie Atkinson to the Geek, Skeezers, and Googleization show. Thank you for joining us today, Allie. And I'll tell you, to start, why don't you just give us kind of the, the quick speed dating version of how you got to become a communication expert? I'm happy to, although I have to say I'm a little hesitant to use the word expert because I certainly, you know, it is is always a work in progress for me, just like it is for anybody, right? I don't know that, that I would consider myself an expert, but it is something that I've spent a lot of time studying and thinking about and am truly, truly passionate about helping other people because, uh, you know, my work at its heart is about connecting with other people and finding the humanity again in our ever increasing digital world. And so that's, you know, that's what really drives what I do. How I got started in it is I was an academic. I was a communications professor for 20 years and an associate dean um, for a university in Denver. And um, back in the day, I, you know, I actually, when I applied to grad school, which was like back, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, I was accepted to grad school on an assistantship, which meant that I um, was offered free tuition in exchange for teaching. And even though I actually didn't apply to grad school to teach, I had no designs on teaching at the time, you know, when they offer you free tuition to a private institution and they say, you know, if you'll teach, I, you know, I would have done it no matter what. If they had said, you know, can you clean the pool for free tuition? I would have said, absolutely. 
But uh, so I started teaching and just really quickly realized that I didn't exactly know what the heck I was doing. And um, like many teachers who are unfortunately hired because they're subject matter experts, but not necessarily taught how to be good teachers. And I was just really resolved that if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to be a teacher, I want to really make sure that my students are learning. So I started researching better teaching practice, which led me in real short order to researching how the adult brain learns. Um, and this is, you know, kind of back in the day, it's much more pervasive nowadays that people are studying a lot of things about the brain, which I think is great because we have so much still to learn. Um, but at the time, there weren't as many people doing it. Like I said, this was a minute ago. And so I started taking what I was learning and applying it to my own teaching, but then started teaching other teachers and trainers this brain-based teaching practice, because that's really the only way that we can ensure that learning is taking place. And then one day I kind of had this epiphany that I could marry my, you know, now 15 plus years of communications expertise with what I knew about the brain and really just teach improved communication skills to the layperson because ultimately it's all the same thing. It's all about how do you connect with the other person when you're communicating to make sure that your message really lands, that you're making sense to them, that, you know, they understand what you're saying and you're accomplishing your goals. So I, I was so thrilled to hear about this report from Burning Glass that you just shared and the fact that even in the technical industry, um, you know, the importance of communication skills is so critical nowadays. So that that just does my heart really good. I appreciate you sharing that. We've been pleading with people for years. I mean, I've been in this business 20, 26 years and we talked about hire, you know, people hire for skills and fire for attitude. And when I first entered the business, I heard that and that's 26 years ago. And unfortunately, stuff, it still hasn't changed. People still look at the resume, you know, what sort of, and, and they're important. I, obviously, there's certain jobs you need certain skills, including, you know, programming and things that we talked about, social, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's cybersecurity, uh, people need certain skills. I don't want to go to a doctor because he learned it on the internet, although um, you can probably learn to, to do a lot of things on, on YouTube uh, that we didn't think was possible before. But uh, so people can absolutely do that. But to think that technical jobs that the number one or number two skill that is now required is communication and even in troubleshooting. I mean, basically, you can be the best troubleshooter in the world. But if you don't know how to communicate that or collaborate with other people to figure out how to troubleshoot, that's, you know, that's a problem. Absolutely. You know, I, the, I can tell you a true story. Um, happened to a colleague of mine who uh, is in the IT field. He's, uh, I, you know what, it's an IT, it's an IT leader position. I'm not well versed in IT world, but he's in an IT leadership position, uh, supervised a team of about 12 developers and had a gentleman on his team who he said was the most beautiful coder he'd ever seen, right? And now if you know anything about IT, you know, I'm sure you know more about what that phrase means, but just, okay, the person wrote great code. But unfortunately he had to let him go, despite the fact that he was a beautiful coder because this uh, gentleman on his team suffered from really poor communication skills that hurt the rest of the team's ability to succeed and move forward. So, you know, for example, he would kind of, you know, go into hibernation mode and work on his code, but not communicate to the rest of the team what he was doing, what parts of the project he was working on and why. And so what happened was that since nobody else knew what he was working on, they were creating duplicate code, which I know enough about IT to know that that's a very inefficient way to do things. The client wasn't happy. They were over 
over budget, over time, et cetera. And despite multiple attempts at coaching, this person, you know, either wasn't willing or able to increase or improve the communication skills. And so he was let go. So, you know, here we've got the person who had these crazy good technical skills, but because the communication skills were lacking, he lost his job. So, you know, this happens in the real world that this this illustration of the report that you're that you're referring to. I just want to remind everybody, and we didn't announce this in the beginning, uh, but for anyone who's listening who is a member of SHRM, uh, the Society of Human Resource Management, uh, we're now able to offer credits uh, for listening to the podcast and 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 learning. So uh, if you're interested, uh, you can just reach out to Jason and myself. Uh, we'll, we'll need to get a link up on the website, Geek Skeezers and Googleization, for people to, to check that out. Or if you're interested, you actually can go to rebrand.ly. It's R-E-B-R-A-N-D.ly forward slash GGG Sherm credit. So it's a long one. I, I apologize for that, but it's rebrand.ly forward slash GGG Sherm credit. Uh, and there's a form up there. And the only thing you need to do is just prove that you listened, uh, pick up, a, take some notes, pick up a couple of uh, pointers that uh, Allie's uh, providing us or any of our guests for any of the other shows, uh, send us the form back and we'll send you the code for credit. So uh, you can get it depending on how long we go here. It'll, t- it'll be anywhere between a half a credit and a, and a full credit. But I just wanted to remind everybody with that. Uh, Allie, I, I got a question. I mean, obviously you, you took this dive. You had an aha moment. Can't talk. I can't communicate. Aha <laughs> moment somewhere along the lines that w- what was the... Was there anything in particular that surprised you the most once you got into the brain-based learning uh, to understand and to go, wow, how did I miss that before? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I I don't know if there has been, uh, maybe the thing that has surprised me the most is how simple it actually is to employ. Um, So sometimes when I, I've learned a little bit when I talk about what I do to explain that I teach improved communication skills. And then I talk about the brain-based thing because I find that sometimes that scares people a little bit, right? Like they hear, oh, I have to know stuff about the brain. And it's like, no, 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 I know the stuff about the brain. So you don't have to know that. So I've learned to hide the vegetables and the cheese sauce a little bit and just say, you know, all you really need to know is that the strategies that I teach are grounded in what we know about how the brain learns, but they're super easy to employ. I mean, the bottom line is that once you figure out these, you know, I've got a, a handful of, of easy tactics that I can teach people and the tactics themselves are simple. So it's just the fact that I can show people why they work by explaining what happens in the brain and why it works and, and frankly, why it, why it doesn't work if you're doing other things. So um, so I think that's the thing that's maybe most surprising um, initially to me and sometimes to my clients and, uh, you know, um, workshop participants and, and audiences that these tap these tactics and tips that I teach are super simple. And Allie, uh, we certainly don't want you to give away the recipe, but can you share with us what are some of those vegetables that are in the cheese sauce? What are some of those tactics with, I absolutely with the brain-based yeah. to improve communication? Yes. Um, so I want to, if I may, Jason, give me one sec, because I will, I'll, I'll circle, I'll get to your question, but I wanted to circle back to something I said, and I think it'll be a kind of cool segue. I hope I just previewed a good segue. Let's hope it works out that way. But um, <laughs> Ira was talking about how uh, in the intro, how, you know, you, you said, Ira, maybe we should get away from calling communication skills soft skills, because we now know that they're so, so important. 
And um, I, I agree with you. I've thought that for years. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's hard to shift a paradigm when you've been talking about something for so long. But one of the ways that I'm attempting to do that is I coined um, a term that I'm calling computer side manner. So it's obviously it's a play on bedside manner. But the whole idea is thinking about how you show up as a communicator in all of your medium. So knowing that, you know, we are our brand all the time. So you know, if you go to like a networking event or an interview or a presentation that's in person, it's it's very natural to think, oh, I'm just I'm going to bring my best self. Right. Because, you know, I'm going to meet Jason in person and I want to I want to impress Jason and I'll totally bring my best self. But for some reason, we don't tend to have that um, same approach necessarily. Some of us when we are communicating digitally. And so this term that I've coined computer side manner is this notion that it's time for us to remove this artificial delineation between our in-person self and our digital self, that all of it is who we are as a brand. It's, it's who we are as a person, because most of us only know us by our communication, right? Or by our digital communication, I should say. And so that part is just as important. Um, and so uh, one of the things that that I like to explain is that these these tactics, Jason, that you're asking for that I teach, um, they're all easily employed in person or online. Sometimes it takes it's a little bit harder to do it digitally because, of course, you know, we don't have the advantage of, you know, touch and smell and things like that um, and being able to really look a person necessarily in the eye. So but there are still ways that, that we can engage in in ways to really connect with people even digitally so again finding that humanity through the computer even though i'm not in the same room with somebody um so that was a long-winded answer to get to jason's jason's question um i have lots of tips that i love to share for how to connect better with other people but i, I guess i'll start with my favorite because to me it is the most uh universally applicable tip and it's so so easy now i call it inquiry and my business development coach loves to tease me and says okay that makes me sound very academic so to break it down in even more layperson's terms it's just ask more questions you know this is really kind of communication 101 right i mean i think it, i don't even remember now if it was dale carnegie or franklin covey who said seek first to understand and then to be understood right so communication 101 but the, here's the cool thing. Because of what we know about how the brain learns, we now know that this is it works as a way to communicate better with other people. So it's not just like be a better person and care more about the other person. It's actually, well, I can show you with brain science that inquiry, asking questions works as a way to connect with other people. And the reason for that is that if we think about how we process information, so if somebody's talking to you or you're talking to somebody, um, you, you can think of your brain as comprised of trillions of little cubbies. Like I kind of imagine it. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen an Amazon warehouse, but you can probably imagine <laughs> that an Amazon warehouse probably has an infinite number of little cubbies, right? That all of the things that we order every day are placed in. And you can imagine that that's what your brain looks like. And so every time we hear something, um, new data coming in, we see something, we hear something, whatever, wherever it's coming from, your brain does a quick scan real quick, obviously, of all the little cubbies and says, how is this new thing like something that I already know? And, and it, the connection that our brain makes to this incoming thing and something that's already in our brain is not necessarily up to us, right? It just finds the first thing that it reminds us of and it goes, oh, this thing is like that thing. 
Now, that may or may not be the connection that the person talking wanted you to make. But if there's any kind of connection made, then that's good. That's better than no connection, because no connection means total misunderstanding. Right. So, Jason, if you start talking to me about, for example, oh, I don't know, um, Bolivia, I've never been there. So I'm going to struggle to make a connection. But if you say, oh, it's very much like, um, have you ever been to Venice, Italy? Well, yes, I have. I, it's probably not. But that was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> well, yes, I have been to Venice, Italy. OK, here's how they are similar. So notice that you would have had to ask me a question to ascertain that. Oh, OK. Have you ever been to Venice? Yes, I have. So asking questions is the number one way to figure out what does this person already know and how can I connect what I'm saying to something they already know? There's a, um, a professor who wrote a book. Uh, his name is James Zoll, and he wrote a great book called, uh, am I going to remember the name of it now? Um, the Art of Changing the Brain. Wonderful book. Very dense, um, a lot of brain science, way more than I can ever really understand. But he has a great quote in there that I think is critical for communicators to understand. And that is this from a cognitive perspective, no one can understand anything if it isn't connected in some way to something they already know. And so that's what asking questions does is it allows us to figure out, OK, Ira, let me meet you halfway by asking you questions about what you understand. What's been your experience with this thing that I'm talking about? What do you already know about it? Oh, OK, well, now I can meet you halfway instead of just kind of standing here and expecting you to make sense of what I'm saying. So asking lots of questions is my favorite tip. I love that, Allie. And a perfect case in point was a situation I was just in yesterday with someone first time I was having a conversation with this person and something he did was after we were talking about a certain topic, he said, so if I'm hearing you correctly, and then he paraphrased what he was taking from what I was sharing. And then he asked, is that accurate? And it was, and I was like, that's someone who has developed some phenomenal listening skills and it's a clarifying question technique, reflective listening, you know, to ask back, Here's what I'm hearing you say. Is this accurate? And I love the way that you described it there as we can we know that there's volumes and volumes of brain research that tells us those things work. Just a matter of can we tactically make sure we're reinforcing those habits on the regular so that we can clarify our communication with each other. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, for many, many years, um, I think because communication is branded sometimes as soft skills, it feels very sort of woo woo. And I think sometimes suggestions for improved communication tend to sound like be a better person. And that feels really overwhelming to people. But if I can just say, you know what, I want you to take 24 hours and I want you to ask more questions. And then I want you to do that for a week, right? So just build baby steps toward building this, take baby steps toward building this as a skill because the, the communication is a skill just like learning a musical instrument or, you know, learning to run a marathon, right? I'm not going to run out and run 26 miles the first, my first day out. I, I could, but well, I don't even think I could, but in theory you could, <laughs> but you would probably regret it and you wouldn't be very good at it and you wouldn't do it again. But, you know, if you run a half a mile the first day, a mile and a half the next day. So communication is no different, right? It's it's just a skill that you can build. And so one of the little um, tricks that I give clients with regard to learning to ask more questions is try to commit to a whole day where you never answer a question directly, you always ask a question in return. So, you know, even something as innocuous as if my husband says, what would you like for dinner? Instead of just saying salmon, 
I would say, um, what did we have last night? Or I don't know what it, what sounds good to you or uh, what's in the freezer. I mean, it really doesn't matter, right? It's just a, it's just a sense of getting practice asking more questions. And the more you do it, the more better you'll be at it. And then not only will you be able to connect better with the people you're communicating with, but then of course, a natural, um, uh, I guess, evolution of that is that people, you'll have better relationships because you seem more empathetic, even if, to be honest, even if you're not really, even if you really are just practicing the skill, but you certainly come across as more empathetic. Yep. My, my wife, actually, yeah, sorry, Allie, my wife actually hates when I ask a question to a question. It's like, just answer the, just, just answer the question. What do you want to eat? I made all the decisions. Uh, let me just do that. I, I had a smile and I know uh, for the podcast listeners, you, you won't be able to see the smile. But I, I had a laugh when you said that dissociation that that when somebody comes in, I mean, we've all experienced this. We've walked, somebody walks into the room we've never met before and we associate them based on body language or, you know, hairstyle or mannerisms or whatever it is with maybe somebody we don't like or maybe somebody we like. But we immediately associate them um, to no fault of their own, mm-hmm. that they're they're either have a step, a leg up or a leg down in that in building that relationship. So that's a good example. And the other one that I talk about all the time and I, I talk about this more on the learning and unlearning that we tend to think about learning as, as a hard drive and we keep piling things in there and we store it and maybe we'll need this another time. But then the hard drive gets filled up and it gets filled up because the hard when it stores like our brain, it starts to store in any place that it can in those cubbies. Mm-hmm. And what defragging does, I'm not going to derail geeky, but what a defrag does, it sort of goes and associates all you know, oh, this was the beginning of the sentence. This was the end of the sentence. Oh, this has a similar meaning. Oh, this was the beginning of the document. This was the end of the document. And it reorganizes things. Mm-hmm. Um, my desk is, is, is a, is a um, the pattern is vertical piling. So when, when one pile gets too big, it starts another one. And then I try to arrange the piles into something. But ultimately, it's, it's trying to associate, make those associations. How do you put them you know, maybe in the right folder, maybe in the right drawer <laughs> that mm-hmm. we can actually go back and do that. Um, but we never think about that with with communication. Uh, we just let it fl- let the words fly and, and we never try to engage the other person um, from the from the other end uh, to get there. How do we keep their attention? Right. Well, and those associations we make are based on our individual experiences and memories, right? So I may have a very different association with a particular movie than you or a particular smell, for example. There was a a great story um, that was told on one of my favorite, um, my second favorite podcast called Hidden Brain. If you've ever, uh, I think Jason, you and I talked about Hidden Brain uh, with Shankar Vedantam. It's a great podcast. And he was talking about how even smells are um, very subjective and you know based solely on our experiences and so the the association we make with even smells is is an individual and there was a woman who shared a story that when she was young she used to drive through the country with her parents with the windows open and her mom she was four or five at the time and her mom would say oh i just love that smell and um she you know she didn't really know what the smell was but her mom was happy she was happy so to her this was a good smell and then years later she was driving with a group of friends in college and they passed a skunk and she said oh i love that smell and all of her friends were like 
oh, that's disgusting. What? You love the smell of a skunk? Are you crazy? And that's when she realized like, you know, wait, what? I Yes, I do. Because for her, it had good memories. And so, so we yeah, can't help the associations we make with things, right? And so um, one of the, the best examples to go back to asking questions and how important it is, I learned this um, really early on in teaching because, you know, very often when you're teaching, and again, really, it's no different when you're communicating with somebody and trying to get your point across, but sometimes you'll share, um, you know, a, a definition or an example or a story and you see a student trying to connect with it and they'll go, Okay, is that like uh, the other day, you know, I was at work and my boss came in and said to me and you're going, no, it's not like that at all. <laughs> but 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 you can't say that because they're they've made a connection between something that happened to them and something you said. And so instead, you know, what you do in that moment is you say, well, I don't know. Tell me more about why you're making the connection you're making. Well, because you said, you know, the word yellow and my boss said the word orange. And to me, those are pretty similar. Oh, okay. Well, that helps me understand the connection you're making. Let me help you bridge the gap now. So it allows you asking more and more questions allows you to get closer and closer to mutual understanding um, instead of, you know, being the to go back to the teaching model, the sage on the stage where I've got all the information and I'm just going to give it to you. And then it's up to you to figure out what to do with it. But rather, as communicators, we need to think of this constantly as a two-way street of collaboration, right? Hey, we're in this together. So if you don't understand me, ask me questions. I'll ask you questions. And eventually, we'll get to mutual understanding. So questions are so great for that. And Allie, I know we've got to take a break here in just a minute. But I just want to reinforce what you and Ira shared there. The concept in psychology we often talk about in brain research, when you rethink through things from a metacognitive level, is it reconsolidates those memories, so for our listeners, you know, Ira, you were talking about the defragmentation. The more that we think through the thinking in the ideas and the schemas that we've just built out from the day, if we take time to reflect on those and communicate on those things with other people, it takes it to where instead of that information being in all those bins, like you're talking about in the Amazon warehouse, where it might be spread out everywhere the first time you hear the concept or the first time you have the conversation, when you go through that process of reconsolidation, talking through those things that you just learned today with another person, it helps strengthen and it reorganizes that information and it strengthens that memory loop. It's absolutely fascinating how the brain does those things. So thank you for sharing Allie with us and Ira on why that is so important and how it's a, a simple technique all of us should do each day is before we go to sleep at night, think about the things we learned new today. We are going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. we got Dr. Allie Atkinson with us today. And uh, we've been talking all about communication. And if you've ever wondered, why doesn't anyone listen to me? We're, that's what we're talking about uh, and, and how that works. When we come back, I, I, I want to ask you, I'm going to give you a little prep on this, Allie, and we're going to keep everybody's attention. How do I get people to listen to me when they're stuck on their devices? They've got, you know, and I heard you say this before, they, they have the attention span of a gnat uh, or of a goldfish. Uh, let's, let's talk about that because there is a way to break through that. Uh, so again, you're listening to Geek Skeezer's Googleization show. If you're not a member of Google of our community, Googleization Nation, please do so. Just go to googleizationnation.com and we just need a, an email address and we'll be in, in contact with you. And we're, we're going to hear from our sponsor. We're going to talk about adaptability, which is also what we're talking about right now. So stay tuned. We'll be back in one minute. For most of us, 
change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. Welcome back, everyone, to Jesus and Googleization. We're here with Ali Atkinson. Uh, we're talking about communication. How do we get people to listen? Uh, if you've ever been in that spot of why doesn't anybody listen to me? Uh, we're going to continue that. Before we jump into that, we talked about the adaptability. Uh, we launched our, our program, AQ Mindset, AQ Plus Mindset. Uh, you can go up to aqplusmindset.com and learn about our the first launch, which is our growth mindset coaching program. Uh, how do we how do we change? I mean, part that's part of communication. That's part of what we're talking about today. How do we not be afraid to make a mistake? How do we ask a question and get beyond that? But what if people think it's a stupid question? Um, that's part of that that growth mindset. And uh, for people that are struggling, even with, hey, I've got a lot of questions, but you sit in the back of the class and 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 some somebody is you're afraid somebody's going to bully you or say it's a dumb question or why did you ask that question? We were going to get out of class now, right? Uh, and you're going to hold them up. There there is a way. And again, it's it's a matter of how do you become more comfortable with that. So you can check out aqplusmindset.com. Ali, before we left, I I brought I kind of threw the rock into the pond and talked about I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering about it. Uh, we've all been in this position. We're doing a presentation and everybody's out there on their phone. And we don't know if they're taking notes or checking YouTube for a video because they're bored. Um, let's first let's talk about attention, uh, multi kind of multitasking, attention span, but how do we get beyond that? And then what are some tips that people can that do as presenters, teachers, parents, speakers, bosses uh, to, to, to at least minimize it? I'm not sure we'll ever eliminate it, but to minimize it. I love this question um, because you're right, especially in today's day and age, we are absolutely bombarded with things. And I think it is the human condition to feel overwhelmed, right? There's a a phrase called digital pollution that I really loved. And it's, I think it's just that feeling. We just feel bombarded all the time. And um, I think that most of us try to multitask nowadays because we feel like, okay, if I can just get this one more thing off my plate, I'll be less stressed. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, I know I'm in a meeting, but nobody's going to notice. I mean, like, please, we can all tell if you're sitting here typing, even if you're looking right at the camera, because you're, you've got that, you know, glazed look on your face. And if you think nobody can tell that you're looking down at your face, like, we can all tell. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a kind of a myth that we, 
well, multitasking in and of itself is a myth. First of all, we know that it is not possible. If you are telling yourself that you're a good multitasker, you are lying to yourself because the brain is simply not capable of attending to attention rich stimuli to more than one attention rich stimulus at one time. Now, notice I said attention rich. So the important thing is, um, can I be talking to you and twirling my hair at the same time or tapping my foot? Can I listen to you and, you know, drum my fingers or doodle? Yes, because those second things are not attention rich stimuli. Um, but what we're not capable of is doing complex tasks like talking and typing. Have you ever noticed if you try to do that, you type what you're saying instead of what you think you're trying to type? That's why, because the brain is just not capable of it. So no matter how much you tell yourself that, it's not true. What we what we can do and what some people are a little bit better at, and in fact, sometimes some scientists say we're getting better as a species, is task switching, which is essentially switching from one task to another, um, you know, quickly. Now, most of us are not very adept at doing that either, because again, if you're talking about attention-rich tasks, then it takes a second for you to go, all right, wait a minute, what was I focusing on no, now I'm talking to Ira. Okay, I'm not typing the report anymore or the email to my kid's soccer coach about how to get where we're going or whatever, right? So you have to really reconfigure your context. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think it is important that we can all do is realize that when you tell yourself you're multitasking, you're not. Because what happens is that now not only are you you know, not actually accomplishing two things, but you're not even doing either of them very well. <laughs> um, Science also tells us that when we multitask, we actually increase our uh, cortisol and adrenaline levels. So it increases our stress to multitask, not decreases it. And we actually lower our IQ in the moment when we are engaging in multitasking. So we literally get dumber. So <laughs> if that is not reason for you not to try multitasking, I don't know what is. Um, one of the other things to, to, to realize, and Ira, you mentioned this about atten the attention span of a goldfish, right? Because I've, I've heard that one a lot, like, oh, I heard this thing that now because of digital, the digital world, we all have the, the general attention span of a goldfish. And that's actually not true for two reasons. One is that um, it turns out that goldfish don't have short attention spans. That is a myth. Uh, there's a person who actually studies goldfish behavior who has confirmed that goldfish are actually quite capable of paying attention and learning, which I thought was great. Uh, but also that we, our attention spans are no different now than they were 50 years ago, than they were 100 years ago. What's different is that there are more things competing for our attention. That is most certainly true. But the bottom line is that attention is selective. So if we are genuinely interested in what's happening in front of us, then we're going to pay attention. Think about when you watch a movie or a television show that you really like or a hilarious video or a cute puppy video. You know, most of the time your attention isn't pulled away from those things because you're genuinely interested. Now, again, but we are there are more things competing for our attention. So part of going back to Ira's other question, what else can we do? When we are um, committed to being engaged with, for example, a meeting or a conversation with a professional colleague or a loved one, then we can turn off those the devices that compete for our attention. You know, if I'm working on um, a project proposal for a client, then I turn off my email, I turn off my text, I make sure that all my little alerts on my computer can't buzz and ding at me so that I don't get distracted. Um, so little things like that, um, that that we can do. For those of us who are running meetings, then that's also important to realize is that 
Um, I do think that there is more and more people nowadays are realizing that virtual meetings, um, you do have a little bit more pressure to make the meeting engaging and thinking about how do you keep people engaged in a virtual digital environment. It's a little bit different than in person. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, um, I know we we don't have I can just go down rabbit hole so easily, but but the more that we can create basically um, multimedia or or, or um, stimuli rich environments, even digitally, the more engaged people are likely to be. So proactively engage the people in your meeting more often. So, oh, Jason, what do you think about that? Oh, Ira, I'd love to rem to remind me what you were saying about that last week. And so, really go out of your way to engage each and every person. That's one thing. Um, move around more. I mean, even, you know, as a speaker, we tend to think like just because we're on Zoom, we have to do the the sort of, you know, picture in picture kind of thing. But um, believe it or not, even something as simple as me just, you know, waving my hands and saying, hey, OK, so here's what I was thinking. You know, I'm going to get your attention more than if I'm just sitting here being like this. Um, and then my final tip, and this really probably has, well, it has less to do with the brain. But this is if you're running a virtual meeting, um, is is um, take a cue from the same thing you might do for an in-person meeting, and that is collaborate with your fellow meeting participants on rules of engagement. And the reason I say collaborate versus set them as the meeting facilitator is that people are you're more likely to get buy-in if you say to people, okay what can we agree on in order to have the most productive meeting possible? It's most likely that someone else is going to say, how about everybody agrees not to look at their phone, like set your phone over there where you can't even reach it. Oh, you know what, Nancy, that's a great suggestion. I love that. What other suggestions do we have? Take five minutes at the beginning of the meeting to collaborate as a group on what a productive meeting looks like for you. And then everybody has committed to it versus just being told by the meeting facilitator the expectations, which you, you might get a little bit less buy-in. Allie, before we launch into uh, our, our lightning round questions to, find, to help our listeners learn a little bit more about Allie, uh, I can't help but think is, is that about education and teachers or, or presenter or even us as presenters, that people are taking notes. And, and the question is, is if we encourage the people to, for people to take notes, mm -hmm. are they actually listening to us? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, yes, that it is uh, much easier to take notes and still listen. Although um, it, most people who are good at note taking would take um, what I would call like outline notes or bullet point notes. But one of the things we can do as, again, meeting facilitators, teachers, presenters, is if people are taking notes, make that easier for them. So this is why, you know, visual aids are helpful. Um, you know, of course, you don't want death by PowerPoint, but capturing the main points on a slide is helpful because then A, you can share them later, but B, it makes it easier for a person to take notes. Um, one of the things that I often do is I'll highlight things verbally when I'm doing a presentation. So I'll say something like, if you take nothing else from this presentation, this is the single most important thing you can learn. And then I'll repeat it twice. So I've signposted it by saying, hey, this is really important. And then I'll repeat it for those people who are taking notes. Um, or if there are three things, I'll be sure and say number one, number two, you know, and so things like that, like ways that you can verbally signpost help those people who are taking notes. All right. Well, Allie, I can't believe that we're already to the lightning round. Uh, we say every oh, week gosh. it went by way too quickly, but we're just going to ask you a few questions to get to know Allie better and help our listeners get to know you better too. So let's start with Go this one. Um, in school, what do you think your classmates would be the most surprised to see about you now? 
Um, you know, I have to say, I don't know that they'd be terribly surprised. I've always been pretty gregarious from the time I was a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm an only child and um, grew up around adults. And, you know, my mom would always have me around other adults. And so I learned to be very outgoing and ask a lot of questions. And I was very curious as a child. And um, all the way through school, everybody always said, you're going to major in communication, right? <laughs> so uh, I don't know that they'd be terribly surprised. Uh, maybe the the only uh, surprise they might or the thing that they'd be surprised about is that um, I've always said that I'm a city girl and I really don't live in the city anymore. <laughs> That's about it. Now it's the suburban life, right? Right. <laughs> How about a favorite band or musician? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'm really going to we were talking about this before the show, Jason. I'm really going to date myself now. Um, but my favorite band of all time is actually Metallica. I'm, I'm a metalhead. Absolutely love it. <laughs> And then how about uh, if you won the lottery today, what's the first thing you'd do? Mm, that's a hard one. Um, I For sure, I would travel. I know probably everybody says that, but I, we, my husband and I do love to travel. And there's so much of the world you still want to see. And the more you know about the world, you know, of course, the more educated you are about all kinds of things. So to me, it's really important too, just to be a good like citizen of the world. Um, I would really try to help as many animal rescue organizations as I could. I'm, I'm a huge animal lover and they just need so much help. Um, and then I, the other thing I've always said, I would really love to find a way to make insurance more equitable, more viable, more valuable for the people who invest a ton of money in something that doesn't tend to um, give us, you know, ultimately the, the, security that I think we're seeking when we engage in it. So yeah, I'd love to like start my own insurance company that that really was was helpful and valuable to it's, it's, it's um I love that. So, so you'd add insurance disruptor uh to right, right. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And then last <laughs> one, how about a word or a theme that you've had for 2022? Oh gosh. Um I think my word's going to have to be persistence for 2022. And maybe a lot of people can resonate with that one, right? As we continue to struggle with so many changes that COVID has brought us and just this new digital frontier that we're all, you know, addressing every day. Um, of course, you know, for me, working on standing up a professional speaking business and moving to a new town and um, changing a lot of things about my life. So yeah, I think persistence is a good word and uh, good, good theme for the year. I love it. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And before we let you go, how can people uh, connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, so my website uh, is probably the best place, which is roi-communications.com. People can certainly feel free to find me on LinkedIn. It's just uh, LinkedIn is my profile and it's Allie, A-L-I, Atkison, A-T-K-I-S-O-N. Feel free to connect with me. I love connecting with people who um, are interested in learning more about my work. So those are really the two easiest ways. Allie, thank you so much again for, for joining us on the show. And we'd love to have you back again in the future and see what you're up to. Um, but uh, thank you for sharing a lot of knowledge around communication and brain science today. So many good nuggets for our listeners today. Well, thank you for having me. I had a great time. And yeah, I'd love to come back. Communication is something I can talk about for hours and um, would love to hear more from, you know, uh, what other people are interested in having us talk about next time too. That'd be really cool. 
Thanks, Allie. Yeah. Appreciate it very much. And I know our listeners appreciate learning that goldfish actually have a an attention span. <laughs> <laughs> There's a nugget for the day. <laughs> Thank you. you, guys. I appreciate it. Bye, Allie. Take care. Absolutely. And that's so funny about the goldfish and attention span real quick, Iris. So there used to be an assessment that I used to give to measure attention span and all the different sub skills. And for the selective attention aspect, what the assessment would have me do is I would have them try to listen to a conversation. And this was played by a CD. So it's dating itself a little bit. And then gradually over time, there's a noise in the background that's getting louder and louder. And so it's measuring the, what they call the cocktail party phenomenon. So any of us that have been at a party, if it's hard to focus on what the person's saying to you because of all the other noise. Well, what's funny about that is now if you were to give a selective attention test, it wouldn't be the cocktail party phenomenon. It would be putting a mobile device or a phone on the table and seeing if the person would still listen to you without thinking about and having the impulse to want to pick up the phone. That's like the gorilla in the video. When you watch the, the video for the three, two or three minutes and then the, the, the gorilla walks by and how many people don't see the gorilla. I love that one. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, absolutely. The question I didn't get that actually the question I didn't get to answer is we always said you have the attention span of a gnat. So we there's people that study goldfish. I wonder if there's people that study gnats, uh, but we'll have to bring Allie back for that. You know, I think that I think that was part of it. I mean, I often say that multitasking is a, a myth. I mean, humans can't multitask yet. Everybody wants to know we, we need to hire people who can multitask. The same thing about attention span. Uh, you know, I've, I've been victim of that. And I love what you said that uh, it's not that our attention span shorter. We just have more distractions, which fits in line so much when we talk about, you know, when I talk about the FCDD, the, you know, don't F it up uh, with companies with recruitment management or recruitment marketing uh, or retention and creating that employee experience. The, the FCDD is remove the frustration, remove the confusion, remove the disappointment and remove the distractions if, if you want to have a better experience and didn't really make the connection with communication. But obviously, it's how do you communicate better? Remove the frustration, the, the confusion, the disappointment and the distraction. Absolutely. And for me, it's something personally I'm trying to get better at is asking the clarifying questions. And that's what Ali said was one of her favorites today. And it's one of those things that's not hard to do. But I think it's a challenge to develop that habit because we just often don't ask questions that way. We rush to judgment thinking we understood what someone said and start working on it. But taking those few seconds or few minutes to say, if I'm hearing you correctly, let me say this back to you. Is that what you mean? That can make all the difference in the quality of the work that we do and the relationships that we have. Absolutely. And, and there's a great book out there. Actually, I, I have it by right by here because I mentioned it earlier to someone it's probably 20 years old at this point, but it was by John Miller. It's QBQ, Questions Behind the Question. It's it's a short read. Obviously, it's a little book, um, but it's just, here's a, here's a question to ask. And here are the follow-up questions. You know, question, I, I used to call it the Questions Beget Questions book. And it, it's really a, an excellent strategy. We want to thank everybody for, again, listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I'm Ira Wolf. And... Uh, if you're not part of Googleization Nation yet, please do so. And I'm Jason Cochran signing off. So until next time, Googleization Nation, remember, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>